You found it, the Japan Love Podcast, blowing hot air out of the back end of Tokyo on a very rainy day. My name is Matt Bigelow, the host of this show. Um, your pronunciation's bad. It's Matt Bigelow. What did I say, Matt Bigelow? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm Mike Rogers here with Matt Bigelow here in Tokyo. Rainy Tokyo. It's hot and it's rainy. Yes. Beautiful the, summer weather. The the old swass factor is definitely uh, swassing her up today. Yep, 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 yep. I'm in a bad mood again today. I know. I'm you came in immediately in a with bad... a pronunciation check, and that might make sense because I'm not a teacher <laughs> anymore. You know, I've moved on. I'm, I'm a full-time writer, so, you know. Oh, so, well, you know, I'm a grammar Nazi. Yes. Too. Yes, you look so, like one. Yeah, Anyway, I've uh, just just in a bad mood because of work things, you know. But I bet I'm not alone. I bet a lot of people out there listening are pissed off about work, or their boss, or their wife, or husband, or whatever. I bet they are. Yeah, listen to this. Fukushima orchid growers wish to spread hope again. Moth orchid producers in Fukushima, as with most businesses, have been hit hard because of the novel coronavirus pandemic, but the flower makers oh. are determined to spread hope through a message embedded into the orchids they produce. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, this... this kind of like fortune cookies, you mean? Yeah, it's, it's called a hope white flower orchid that was uh, developed to be used as gifts. But however, the demand for the plum orchids uh, plummeted soon after the pandemic struck, and producers have been struggling as a result. Um, ah. workers have been ordered to cut up all of their plants and dispose of them. <laughs> what? So why if the workers cut up the plants that that'll increase the prices? No, nobody's ordering them and they're just all going to waste. And these are the they're, orchids they're, that those are the ones that have like the white, you know, the white cascading yeah. ones and they're used by businesses to announce new openings and yeah, no, yeah, right, no businesses right. are opening and no one's spreading hope at the moment. So these Fukushima businesses that were, you know, ruined because of the uh, contamination, uh, radioactive contamination rumors, mm-hmm. reset up their businesses for orchids. And now those businesses mm-hmm. are, are getting smashed because of the virus. So they're so pissed off too, Mike. They're pissed off too. <laughs> so people who haven't been to Japan before, um, just to tell you, like when you go to a company, like it'll be a new company or an anniversary or something like that, you'll walk into the front door and in the hallway, or in the waiting room there, there'll just be rows and rows of these white orchids that are sent as presents from other companies. And and the orchids are supposed to have like a long duration to them, which means your company will also last a long time. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think so. I was thinking it's a pain in the butt. You know, who wants to water these things? Ah, yes. And then what are you going to do with it? You know, what are you going to do with it? The Japanese way of making other people passively aggressive do things they never <laughs> asked to do. Yep, yep. <laughs> so the orchid people are angry. The, the 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 orchid waterers are angry. Mike, what's going on? Well, I don't. I'm just mad about uh, work things. You know, just just things irritate me. But um, can I can I announce my film festival? Of course. Okay, on November. Tentatively set for November 16th and November 17th, the Japan Indies Film Festival will be the first film festival in Japanese history online. Thank you. 
Well done, sir. More well done. details coming. More details coming on this show in the coming weeks. See, the thing about uh, Mike is you always find a way through. I've noticed that. Um, somebody says no, you say, actually, yes, just not with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Well, you can't accept no for an answer. Not if you want to do something. That's what I've realized because there's, there's a lot of no people out there and I'm not a no person. I'm like a yes person. I like getting, I like doing projects. I like getting shit done. Uh, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all that stuff. It's sad that it, all of it doesn't pay extraordinarily well. You know, you can fix my oh, pronunciation on well, that one too, if you like. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people need to understand too. And everybody knows that the Japanese don't say no. But what they do say in lieu of no is they say maybe or that's difficult. Muzukashi. Those both mean no. Yeah. Or the third one is a silent kind of grunt language is sucking air through their teeth. <laughs> that means no. <laughs> yes, that's a definite no. That's actually the. Uh... Yeah, that's a definite, definite no. <laughs> that means say what you just said very differently soon or else. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, before we go uh, to the interview here, um, I have this mm. to talk about. Okay. Euthanasia in Asia. Euthanasia, I, I'm, I'm into young people. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, this yeah. is a kind of an interesting um, news item about a woman that was recently euthanized. Have you heard about mm -hmm. this? she better now or what <laughs> yeah she's a lot better <laughs> she's dead <laughs> she doesn't have to okay. deal with all this horse shit no i didn't hear about this what's going on okay so what's this this woman had als um that same disease oh, that that oh, the oh, guy oh. that looks like bill gates but was in the wheelchair and was obsessed with black holes yeah yeah i don't remember his name but Stephen yeah, hawking this, the, yeah that's his name yeah um so she had ALS and she wanted mm -hmm. to die, but in, in Japan, mm -hmm. your doctor just can't kill you. So she started, she had like this ocular reader where she could like twitch her eye or something like that. And she was tweeting, uh -huh. I want to die. And then these other mm -hmm. doctors from like Sendai up north found her tweets and they said, yeah, we'll kill you. So then they went to her house and administered her drugs and she died. And now a yeah. lot of people are trying to call this assisted suicide but in Japan, you can't call it that because of there's these different rules and regulations. That's why it's called uh -huh. euthanasia in Asia. But you know, regardless of how you feel about euthanasia uh, and how 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 hot they are, um, uh -huh. I'm not sure if we can say that contacting um, doctors on Twitter to go and kill you is the best way to go about this. I'm not sure that that's what Twitter is for. Well. I, you know, if she really, really wants to die, then I think it, that's her right. Yeah, no, the right to die. Probably going to get mad about mad about that, but you know, um, she's probably in a lot of pain, isn't she? I she heard just ALS can't move, uh, but I heard a lot of ALS people wind up taking um, morphine. Oh yeah, because of pain. Because of pain, I thought it was just because they're bored. Well, I. <laughs> <laughs> well okay yeah maybe that's it <laughs> and pain is just like in quotation marks so so wait a minute so how, how did she tweet by blinking how did that work it's you like mean a, a stephen hawking had the same thing it's like a camera that you can fix to the inside of a pair of glasses and mm -hmm. you 
your eye, eye movement can be registered as like um, a cursor and you can then select words and then words can be used as predictive typing and you can eventually through a very long painstakingly like a few minutes or tens of minutes or even up to an hour tweet something out to doctors that want to find you and kill you really yeah oh yeah that's so how stephen that, hawking communicated would, for years it would be terrible if you know the autocorrect keeps coming in and fixing stuff you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. like on our our emails autocorrect just really pisses me off <laughs> sorry i'm pissed off anyway i know today. yes yeah what was those damn you autocorrect like Hey mom, can you come over and suck my cock? Like some of those, <laughs> the ALS one. It's, she didn't really want to say "kill me." She just wanted to say "thrill me," and uh, got yeah. out to the wrong doctors. Damn you, autocorrect. <laughs> um, so there's in Japan there are um, conditions for euthanasia, and I, and I managed to find them. And this is a, an abridged version, of course, because I'm not a medical expert. Okay. Um, right. One. The patient is suffering from intolerable physical pain. And mm -hmm. this is the thing. Who knows what intolerable means? Number two. I know. The patient's death. <laughs> yeah, this podcast. Two. The patient's death is inevitable and imminent. Uh, three. Well, there are no, Yeah. Mm. Everybody's death is inevitable. I know. And relatively speaking, but imminent. Maybe it's like the patient's death, not the oh. person's death. I see. See, there's all these. This it. is very Another unique to Japan stuff. as well. Yeah. Uh, number Legal, three in, in Asia. Uh, there are no mm. alternative measures for alleviating or relieving the physical pain. And four, the patient shows a clear desire to die. Now, in this case, the patient did show a clear desire to die, but the primary doctor has to be the one, I believe, to administer the drugs, not, not random doctors on Twitter. Ah, uh, I see. So, so yeah, there we go. Well, so wait a minute. So is anyone going to court or is anyone going oh, to jail? Oh yeah, two doctors have been found, um, and then their I think their bank accounts were searched, and I, I think one of them had like a, a one million yen or ten thousand or a hundred million. I can't remember some sort of cash deposit associated with this action. That's horrible. I'd do it for 500,000 yen. I know. I know. <laughs> I could go to the dollar store, get a couple of hammers, and it will be over in no time. Yeah. Make it look like the next door neighbor did it. <laughs> That's right. Just throw the hammer oh, onto the Speaking of that, speaking of that, and this is, this is, I, I know I'm getting off the subject. There was a guy I heard about yesterday, a guy, I think it was in Chicago, who murdered seven or eight or nine ten people and, and was never caught never even suspected and how he did it was he would you know um find his enemy or whatever yes and tell him like you know i really, really want to apologize to you and um let's go have a drink they would go have a drink together and the guy would get the guy take him to a restaurant that's near a lake and um <clears throat> they'd go to the restaurant and the guy would get the victim just totally hammered and when they're leaving he would push the guy into the lake really drunk and make sure the guy can't get out of the lake and then start screaming help me help me my friend dropped in there so how he got caught how he finally got caught i think it was after the seventh or eighth person some cop was just like looking over the records like 
gee, this person, you know, John, John Smith called in and um, reported this, this uh, drowning. And then look at number two, wait, John Smith again called in. And then number three, wait a minute, John Smith again. And they finally figured out it was him. And that's how he got busted. A cop with an IQ over a hundred was finally administered to the case. (laughs) But it was, (laughs) I thought, you know, well, that's a pretty good idea. Oh yeah. I mean, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that, but. Yeah. Once you find out that root of, of murder and repeatability, uh, it's going to attract a lot of people to go, I can repeat this and get away with it. Help me, help me. Someone help me. My friend's fallen in the river and he can't get up. (laughs) (laughs) Where's the beef? Uh, There is that. I got to address one thing. Um, I I, I used to say that there was no second surge going to come from the COVID. But recently, there's been like a whole bunch of news about new cases and new cases. But I want to say is that I still think that there's no second surge, essentially. There's more cases, but there's no deaths. And the amount of serious cases is very low. So in Tokyo, the amount of confirmed cases has been over 10,000. But the next level of, of, of cases is in Osaka with just under 3,000. And Tokyo mm-hmm. is getting the most PCR tests of any place in the country, even though like Kawasaki and Yokohama are in Kanagawa Prefecture and not even near us. So Tokyo has been having like um, 4,000 or... 6,000 PCR tests every day for the past month and a half. And that has led to an increase of, you know, a few more thousand people having COVID, but it's also led to more and more people, hundreds and hundreds of people sometimes a day being discharged. And since, since mid, mid June, there's probably been about like seven or eight deaths. And one place in Japan that hasn't had any cases or deaths at all is in Iwate to this day. So I'm kind of using Iwate as an example of if there's a second surge, then surely enough, Iwate would finally get its first case. So I'm still going with the fact that, yeah, more and more people are being tested. The vast majority of them are people in their 20s. Only one person has died in their 20s. And the most of the people that are dying, 558 cases of death are people in their 80s or plus so the people that are exceeding their life expectancy are the ones being so um you know uh, the ones being terminated as a result so i i just wanted to say like to people who were like hey what about you didn't say there was a second surge i'm like yeah well there's more cases but there's still a lot less death and a lot less serious cases so i'm sticking with my guns here okay wait i got a i got a i got a story for you all right let's go let's hear it Okay, so this is this is out of Russia, and a 72-year-old grandmother just got married to a 53-year-old guy. Well, nothing, nothing so well, nothing kind of so strange about that. The problem is, is the 72-year-old grandmother's husband was married to her 52-year-old daughter, and they got a divorce, and then the mom. <laughs> The mom, the the daughter kicked the husband out of the house, and grandma thought, wow, that's a really cool guy or something. And those two hooked up, and now this is a big trending news in Russia. Have you ever heard that song, I'm in Love with Your Mom, by a band called Vom? Where are you taking this? 
Well, no, I'm just giving you information. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you hitting on I'm my in love mom? With your mom. <laughs> yeah, the guy, the guy says, you know, when I come over, who does the cooking, who's real nice, who's good looking, not you, not you, not you. I'm in love with your mom. Oh, yeah. I wish I was your dad. She'd be the best I ever had. So never mind. Okay. That's hilarious, oh. though. That is weird. And at first, I was like, this doesn't sound like Russia at all. But then when it, when it, those lineages came, I'm like, yep, it's Russia. <laughs> <laughs> so it doesn't seem like either one of them are, are rich. So it's kind of strange. They're just Russians. Um, so, the, the, the yeah, the daughter is trying to get them to get a divorce. But I don't know. You know, I just wish them happiness and health and kids. Well, maybe not kids, but. Maybe you know. not the kids part in this case. But uh, maybe they can adopt yeah, some dogs. Some, they can rescue some puppies <laughs> from the shelter. <laughs> All right. Uh, so with that, I would like to remind everybody to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever your podcast player means are. Um, my website is MatthewPMBigelow.com. Recently, I've been writing a blog every so often focusing on uh, surveillance capitalism and AI, and you can get that at the blog there. Um, I also updated another podcast, the Artificial Intelligence Tokyo Podcast with me. Uh, I've been shadow banned off of Facebook and uh, we're an English language podcast here in Japan, Tokyo. So anything the listeners can do to spread the word, a like, a share, a link, um, it really helps a lot because it's the only way we can uh, get anywhere uh, due to some uh, insane Marxists uh, stabbing me in the back and reporting me to the Facebook team where I guess they have some sort of quota to fulfill and they they pointed the gun at me and pulled the trigger so that's what I'd like to say uh, Mike how about you any Twitter news um I, I do the Mike Rogers show um it's on in eight, 18 nations and 38 countries and I also do color red radio with Mike Rogers and that's on I don't know how many countries that's on and um I do a uh, podcast with the Matthew Bigelow. Matthew. <laughs> and just just do some other stuff. That's all. All right, uh, all right. So we uh, have a guest that is in the waiting room in the dock, and we're gonna go to Lee Popa. All right, joining us now is Lee Popa, a sound engineer for the likes of Engelbert Humperdinck and Tool, and has worked with Shure Microphones and I believe Electro Voice as well. Isn't that right, Lee? Sure, yes, absolutely. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you've been on the show before, so I kept the introduction a little bit short today. Uh, if people want to listen to the full-length interview with Lee, please go back to uh, the previous show, and we can you can you can get into all of that. It's oh, like he's a, got he's got so many great stories. It's just it's hilarious. Oh yeah, it was awesome having um, you back. Um, we got good oh, reviews, oh, by the way, for that uh, last podcast, Lee. So it's great oh, having great. you back. Super. Super. Hello to all the listeners, that's for sure. And thanks for supporting uh, us having a good time, because that's basically what we're doing. That's right. We're having a great time and they listened. Yeah, I thought I'd tell, I thought I'd tell a couple rock and roll stories here today that that uh, in my career are, are some highlights of, in, I wouldn't call it insanity, but, you know, 
things happen. Uh, the first mm. story I want to tell you guys is about the band Ministry. Uh, if oh. you don't know about Ministry, but, uh, on Lollapalooza tour, we dominated that tour with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and, and Soundgarden. Uh, it basically made my career because uh, I was in the Guinness Book of Records then for the loudest concert. And uh, I had I had five thousand six hundred and forty two knobs on my board. So every night when I go to sleep, I had an ice bucket outside my uh, bunk and I'd sleep on the lower bunk so I could put my arm in the ice bucket because my hand hurt so much from turning the knobs. Right. So uh, onward to that's Al Jorgensen and Paul Barker and, and Bill Rieflin, who uh, recently passed away, but he's a brilliant drummer. He played with R.E.M. for a bit, but. He was a leading member of King Crimson. Uh, Mike Scotia from the band uh, uh, Rigor Mortis. Uh, we had a cast of characters on the tour. We had uh, two buses. One, the bus I was on was called the Love Bus. It was all the wow. crew guys, and and we'd have uh, like balloons and uh, helium balloons in the ceiling, and and play relaxing music. And the other bus was the Hate Bus, which was the band and those guys. And they'd set up a whole recording studio in the back lounge and we would play country and Western music. I mean, physically. <laughs> so we had a pedal steel back there and everything. So one day we're driving through Texas and we've got a couple of days off and the, the love bus is passing. We see the band's bus is on the side of the road. And there's a, you know, there's a vent on the top that you open up where the air comes in and out. And we see the smoke pouring out of it, out of that. And the, and the cops are there and all of the band guys are sitting on the grass and stuff. And our bus driver says, I'm going to pull over. Everybody on that bus screamed at that moment. No. (laughs) And we kept kept going. Right. So we get to the hotel and we're like, I don't know, man. Let's go. Let's go to the bar. We're going to, this is going to be good, isn't it? So here comes the tour bus with the cops in tow, right? Oh. And the bus driver, he's furious. And the guys come walking in and I'm like, what is that smell? They're like gunpowder. I'm like, what? What? They're like, yeah, exactly. I go, what happened? They go, well, you know, we, you know, we stopped and, and, and got those fireworks. You remember? I go, yeah. When you guys spent $3,000 on, on, on the, on the grand finale. Yeah. I remember that. So Gibby Haynes from the butthole surfers was on, on the back of the bus and they had one of those big rocket cannons, you know, where you light it off and it does like a whole bunch of stuff and they're fooling around and they're, they're whacked, man. They're higher than kites, you know? And they said, okay, you light it. I'm not going to light it. You light it. And Gibby leans over with the lighter just as they laugh and the wick hits the lighter and lights it. So, you know, on a tour bus, there's two doors. There's the one to the back lounge where they're all sitting. And then there's the we're all the way up to the driver. Well, they had the door open to the driver. So they throw this firework in the hallway and slam the door shut and they're laughing their asses off, you know, thinking it's hilarious. Well, the first shot goes off and hits a front windshield. On a tour bus, there's a big red button that you can hit. That's emergency stop. It locks up all the tires on the bus. The bus driver hits that, stands up and turns around. And the second shot from the firework hits him directly in the chest. Right. (laughs) And he doesn't know it's a firework. He's like, what the hell is going on? Right. And then the whatever you want to call the 50 salute, whatever goes off. 
Yeah. All the all the guys that are up in front all dive into their bunks. Everybody's on the ground and the fireworks are going off, right? So now the hallway's basically on fire. The bus driver has <laughs> locked up the bus and pulls the bus over, right? So they get out and he's like, he's taking everybody's luggage and throwing them off the bus. You guys, <laughs> I kill you, man. You know? So the police show up. The police show up and the police are like, I'm sorry, but it's illegal for you to do that. You have to take them to their destination. That's part of the law here. And we're going to make sure you do it. Well, the bus driver is pissed. And no kidding. When we saw him, he had a burn mark on the center of his chest. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. So it, it lit it, it lit his uh, T-shirt up. <laughs> so they're telling us this story. and We're just laughing our asses off. And, and the bus driver comes in and goes, that's it. I've had it with you, man. Uh, I'm taking the bus and I'm going. So Al, Al just says to him, hold on a second. And we get our, our road manager, Curly. And Curly was the uh, bass player in Echo and the Bunnymen. So I'm sure he's seen a lot of crazy stuff, right? And Curly's like, what? He, Al goes, go get the bunny. So Al sits there with the bus driver and the bus driver says, man, that's at least $20,000 worth of damage. Al hands him 25 grand. Goes, here, you're going to fix the bus. He goes, no, man, I'm going to be fired for this. He goes, no, you just, we got a couple of days off, go fix the bus. He goes, my, I need to feed my family. And Al goes, here's $1,000. Is that enough? He's like, no, here's $2,000. No, there's $5,000, but you got to do something for me. So oh. as you know, Lollapalooza is probably 30 buses and, and all of these band members and everything. So the word immediately, because we're all staying at the hotel, the word goes around. So the bus driver goes and gets the, bu the bus driver goes goes and gets the bus fixed. And Al Al won't tell us what he's what the deal is that he made with the bus driver. And we're like, come on, man, really seriously, what 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 what's going on here? He goes, no, oh, he's going to be back, and he's got a surprise for everybody when he comes back. Okay, so everybody on the whole tour hears on the radio that the bus driver is going to pull in the parking lot. Literally everybody that wasn't on stage at that moment, and I'm pretty sure it was during a set changeover. So all the crew guys, all the lighting guys, all the locals, I would say there was about 95 people standing around in the back stage area waiting for the bus driver to pull in. The bus driver pulls in and, and backs the bus up. When he gets off the bus, he's holding a fire extinguisher and one of those chrome suits that you, that air, when your airplane crashes, those those kind of firemen, yeah, and it just lights up lights off this uh, the the fire extinguisher and, and turns on. He put uh, fireman lights up on top of the bus <laughs> with and, the money <laughs> with the money. So it was it was amazing, right? And so at the end of the tour, we get back to the studio and there's all these boxes there, and I'm like, "Yeah, what's that?" He goes, "The back lounge, man." I kept it all. I paid for it. So we, we had for a long time, the burnt bus, the burnt shell, all of that stuff. And we set it up in the studio. Right. So truth, the, the insanity that happened, that happens on, on the deal. That's so crazy. That is so two days later. So two days later, we go to California and we walk into the holiday holiday Inn, and Billy Gibbons is there. He's a big Ooh. fan of the band. Right. Walks up to Al and he hands him a book of matches. He goes, come on, do it right here for me. Do it right here. <laughs> Casey Orr, the bass player, lights the match and sticks it right against the fire, uh, the uh, extinguisher. You know, the, the 
the yeah. whatever you call that thing that turns the water on and we destroy another $20,000 room. Oh God. And and we couldn't get out the door fast enough. He he gave this like evil look as Casey lit, lit this thing because Billy's like, go ahead, do it, do it, do it. And he, <laughs> not thinking that he was going to do it, right? And oh my God. So here we go. So now we spent probably $80,000 on pranking. Yeah. That's what it was like to tour with that band. That sounds awesome, man. Those, yeah, those awesome, are the days. Man. Those are the days. Those are the days, right? Yeah. I love the and fact so, that you the two the, the roadie bus was just like, we are not getting involved with the we art are guys. Not stopping for nothing, man. <laughs> we would change it goes week, both ways. Change, every week we changed the lock on that front door. So in case one of those guys got a key, they couldn't get on our bus, right? <laughs> so yeah. It was, it was crazy. So you go on our bus and it'd be like some meditation music and everybody be reading books. You get on their bus, bus and on both screens is Apocalypse Now in a, in a loop. <laughs> so a, lot, a whole bunch of years later, because I work with Jason Schwartzman the, uh, from the movie Rushmore. Yeah, Jason Schwartzman's great. Yeah, he, he's, he's a musician. Yeah, so Jason, yeah. Jason's, Jason's uncle is, uh, is Francis Ford Coppola. That's right, yes. Which ties in nicely with the movie you just referenced. Right. So I, I told him, I said, yeah, we've probably watched that movie 200 times on our tour. He's like, no, you haven't. I'm like, no, really, we have. And I start reciting the movie to him for at least 20 minutes, <laughs> all of the scenes, right? I love He's Jason like, Schwartzman, by the way. He's a great crazy. actor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jason was in the band Phantom Planet. Yes. And, and he, he's one of the the best drummers I've ever seen. And what he's doing right now has been doing for the last 25 years is he's, he is playing Keith Moon in the history of the who. Oh, so when he was really young, he's the drummer. And now he's going through the ages of Keith Moon and the who, and the guys that are all in, in, in this band are all aging together. So it's going to be a very realistic non-makeup kind of movie. Wow. Yeah. He has a yeah. 70s vibe to him, right? With the long, like he can well, do well, long hair and mustaches and stuff like that. Yeah, Jason yeah. And, 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 you know, he's uh, Wes Anderson and all, and Spike Jones and all those, they're all, all interrelated. Absolutely. You know, yeah. The, the movie Lost in Translation is really Sofia Coppola's uh, diary. That's, that's why that movie is so realistic. All those things really happened because Ministry was on tour in Japan when that had happened, when that happened. And Spike got, was fooling around with one of the girls on the on the snowboard tour, and all of those things that happened in there. And she was actually really making a commercial with Bill Murray in Japan at the time. Yeah, it's a great movie. And and yeah, so and you know, and then more rock stories there. That uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the actor. Uh, uh, spilling the beans. The Nick, taco Nick gossip. Kate. No, no. Nick Nick Cage is banned from the from the uh, from the premises from uh, Jason's house by his mom. Jason's mom is Sophia. I'm sorry, is uh, uh, Adrian from the Rocky movies, right? Yeah. And so she's in the Godfather and all that. Yeah. So what happened is they went on vacation and they got really drunk before they left, and and he threw up in the house, but he threw up underneath the cushion. Uh, that's classic. When they came back. Yeah, <laughs> Nick Cage, right? Yeah. Wait a minute, he so, threw up under what? What cushion? Uh, on uh, on uh, Talia Shire's in Talia Shire's house, 
uh, he, he, he was going to throw up. And so he lifted up the cushion of the couch and threw up underneath it and then put the cushion oh, down. God. Yeah. So they came back to the house like two and a half months later. And <laughs> two and a half months. What's that smell? <laughs> the, the, the vomit reproduced into it, a genetic clone of welcome, Nick Cage. And I welcome the lawyers to call me because it's the truth. And she'll say the same thing. So I think he finally is able to come around Christmas time, but he's on double secret probation. That's for sure. Yeah. He's limited yeah. to the guest house with no cushions. They're going to, yeah. they're going to pull it. Hey, Nick Cage is coming over. Get rid of these cushions. Yeah. Hey. No. And you know, it was a, it, it, of course, you know how much money they have. So, you know, that couch was just absolutely gorgeous and stuff. So yeah. when I first came to LA, uh, she said to me, Hey, you guys should stay in my guest house. Well, my wife and I are thinking, you know, like a hovel one bedroom. And so I get invited out to the house for dinner and it, I'm like, it's a four story building with a slide that goes into the pool. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, I blew that one. <laughs> you know what? I like the, I really like that aspect about America. Uh, just like new money, outlandish spending behaviors and it's fun it's so cool yeah well the hip hoppers they just buy cars and wreck them yeah there's so much uh, more money you can do it with with, with with that money you know there's a lot more fun things that you could do you could put your children to university where you just decide to make a house with a slide no you could go yeah down, you that's could right go down the new or you could go down to new orleans and buy everybody on the street a drink like i've seen Eddie Vedder do. So he bought like 8,000 people drinks. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. This is what we yeah. need. Hey, this is what we need. Yeah. Hey, hey, Lee, you know, I'm a big, really big fan of uh, U2. Yeah. And Aerosmith. And um, I had heard from uh, a friend that uh, you kind of uh, know some little secrets about them. Yeah. The, you know, it, yeah, you too. Gossip uh, taco with you too. Yeah, you know, when they, they first started the band, uh, The Edge didn't really know how to play the guitar. It doesn't so surprise that, me. It, those, those sounds are the echoes and, and things like that, which g gave it its unique sound. Yeah. And the band was cool. But when you have these big dollar ticket concerts and stuff, you know, uh, you got a responsibility to the band, and sometimes those guys are off, so... U2 has a substitute band underneath the stage. And, and so if somebody isn't on, they just turn that person on and, and they're going to town. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So, so you have a responsibility to me, meaning the sound engineer or whatever has a responsibility to the band it, and the fan. Yeah. It's, 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 it, yeah, it's, it, you know, the show um, must go on. Yeah. I, I worked with Lisa Marie Presley for the uh, NBA and she played at the, uh, all-star game so she was one of the artists that played at the all-star game well there's two tracks that i have i have one that's recorded and the other one that's the live mic well in the downbeat of that first vocal when she hit it and sounded like somebody wrecked the car you know, it was like, <laughs> i slid that other fader up and it was her on tape so she's basically lip syncing to that because i have an audience of what 80 million people watching <laughs> right so her manager came back there and he's like, I want you fired. I want you fired. And I'm like, I got my boss. And I'm like, come in here. I said, just so you guys know, I rolled tape on this show. So let's listen to what would have gone on the uh, podcast. Oh. 
It's like CCing the boss in an angry email. Exactly. <laughs> so I hit the I hit play. The first 30 seconds, then the manager his her manager reached over and hit the stop button and goes, "Here's $500. Thanks for taking care of my artist." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what? How do these talentless hacks get into these high positions? It's crazy. Um, her mom sold a lot of shampoo, and I, her dad did something. I don't. I forget what her dad used to do. Yeah, yeah. Sold something yeah, with yeah. peanut butter. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. Well, you know, yeah, you know. Uh, so th there's that, you know. And then Mike is talking about Aerosmith and their first records. Well, as a record producer, you have a responsibility to make a hit record. And it's not about personal feelings. It's about the money that's being spent by the record company. At that level, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's so a ROI. It's makeup. So, you know, my first drink is at 29 years old. Yes, I remember my that. My first drink, right? Yes. Okay, the reason being. And it was shampoo, not shampoo, champagne, right? Champagne, yeah. Yeah. At the Ambassador East Hotel. Thank you very much. In the penthouse. <laughs> but anyway. So, so the thing is, is you have a responsibility to the record company and to the band. So oh. uh, Jack Douglas, the producer, uh, you know, those guys were drinking a lot because they were on the road and living that lifestyle, which is the sound systems weren't so good. Shows are good and bad. People didn't care because they're coming to see the band. Not and they're, really they're, they're the coming band. to rock out. They're not coming to hear 4-4 four, four in perfect time. They're coming, yeah, well, they're coming to party with their friends at their favorite band who plays a resemblance of the music. Uh, so if you could go on YouTube and find out, find at any point where Steve Perry plays the solo in walk this way, like it's on the record, it's not going to happen. Cause that's a guy named Steve Wagner. That's crazy. Isn't Steve it? Wagner, yeah. So Jack Douglas is the producer and Jack worked with uh, cheap trick, you know? And the cool thing about Jack is Jack just, if you're doing it, he lets you do it. So the Cheap Trick record is exactly Cheap Trick playing it. The Aerosmith record needed some help like that. A lot of the modern bands do, do the same thing. There's a drummer named Josh Freeze. He plays on a lot of stuff. A lot of people don't know that Ringo didn't play on every record. They don't want to hear that, right? Oh. Right. A guy named Laurie London from Nashville played on some of their records. Just because it was more efficient... The producer communicated in a way that the that the uh, musician could understand, and you know, uh, maybe he's got a golf game or something to do, you know. <laughs> There's oh, there so is that Lee, Lee. So this kind of story, would you say that this kind of story where there were um, what do they call them, studio musicians or whatever came in, this is very very commonplace, like. 80% of the bands or something like that? I'd give it 60% for sure. Yeah. Oh, so you're telling me now the Sex Pistols did not play on their record. That would, be, a, that would be Chris Spedding that plays guitar with the Sex Pistols. Yeah. Yep. It's all like that, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. it's called the entertainment industry, not the friend industry for a reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there are some bands that are just absolutely... A hundred percent. The Eagles are one hundred percent the Eagles. There's no trickery involved. Metallica, yeah. I would assume. Yep, Metallica's another band too. Do you know this band, the Weight Band? No, I've never heard no, of I them. don't. 
Okay. I don't know. That's a what's his name? The very very famous bass player with the beard, like Santa Claus. What's his name? Um. Uh. uh wait. Wait. Hold on. Uh. Leland, Leland Sklar. Yeah. Sklar. Yeah. Yeah. Some project he's doing. Yeah. You know, I ran up to, to that guy in the lobby and had to take a picture with him. I I think he's had more more hit records and played on more hit records than anybody in the world. Yeah, there's these living yeah. legends. The the Wrecking Crew is a documentary that features these some of these similar stories where bands come in, they have a huge fan base, but the ideas in their head don't transpose in the studio. So you yeah. just call up a guy, he comes in 15 minutes later, the, it's done, it's over, everybody's happy, the sound producer isn't waiting for this sloppy musician to suddenly turn into a professional well, and, musician. And, 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 and during these times, there was the strict union rules. So I'm 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 pretty good friends with Carol Kay, the bass player from a lot of those sessions. Oh, oh yeah, uh, she's great. I I you know I, if you didn't know, I had a liver transplant. I got an autoimmune disease, and one of my friends had told her about that, and she reached out to me, and she was really nice, and she said, "Yeah, call me anytime or send me music." Oh my God! I send her music. She screams at me. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> you know. But then I get to pick her, pick her brain, and 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 she just, you know, in a conversation, she'll just blurt out, "Well, when I was doing that that soundtrack for the movie, uh, Steve McQueen movie, what's that one with the car chase? I can go bullet. Bullet. She goes, yeah, I play here and I play there. This is what I do there. Yeah, she got I mean, her started in a lot of uh, soundtrack movies because. There was very few people that could um, do like sound effects on bass or, or and she had this ability to bring to the um, movie what a lot of other sound effects uh, artists could not. That's what that was my yeah, understanding. And she, yeah. And, and, and also the other thing is she the, the people that she hung around and was with. If you're with Quincy Jones, you you have to ingest that. Wow. You know. The reason I can mix sound so well is because the artists that I've worked for, not my, my skill or ability. When you hear somebody like, I have to say, Engelbert Humperdinck was amazing. He had a full or, full on orchestra and he would turn around and tell a flute player, that's the wrong note right there. Wow, that's pretty I'm sweet. Cool. That's a good The whole year. thing going on, right? What about Tool? So, uh, because last time, last time I had you on, we talked about Engelbert, and I was I wanted to like go from an Engelbert Humperdinck to Tool oh, as as a, as a okay, contrast, yeah. you know? Yeah, Tool Tool will never talk to me again. Why? Wow. Okay, so <laughs> Tool will never talk yeah. to Lee Popa again. Is there is there you a gossip taco? So is there some well, beans you to know spill? What we're talking about here about like I'll pull out all the stops. So when I pulled out the razor blade and cut a. Danny Carey's drum track so that it would fit in time a little bit. No. Not to say he wasn't a bad drummer, but it was a little bit too much jazz odyssey. And that's the <laughs> song Sober, right? So it became a massive hit. It is a big hit. And I was supposed to mix the record, you know, <laughs> but I got really pissed at him because every band member would go behind the other band members back when I'd be like going to the hamburger joint and would say, well, you know what? I'm only making this record for the money. I'm breaking. I'm not going to be in the band later. I'm going to yeah. have this other project. Yeah. So Maynard was all about being in this band called Green Jello, right? And they yeah. had this song, "Knock, uh, Knock by a Hair of a Chinny Chin Chin" or something. But he was yeah. into it. And Maynard, Adam, he has a support animal, a tiny little dog that he brings on planes with him now. 
the singer of I, Tool. You know, it, it totally could, it could be. You know, he was a Asian uh, full contact uh, champion in in uh, at eighteen years old. He was in the service. When I knew Maynard, he would only sleep with his uh, one leg off the bed because he was like a special forces guy. Oh, weird. I got nothing to say about their mu musicality and, and working with Sylvia Massey at that time. That was great. We played, we worked in the weirdest studio I've ever been in in my life where people didn't even lock the door. <laughs> yeah. So is, yeah. is the fact that you took a, a little bit of um, uh, liberty on, 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 on the drummer's track, is that the reason why, is yeah. that the beans? Yeah, and then, they, and then I'm mixing the record and they're all watching the Michael Jackson special when I'm supposed to be mixing the record. And I was like, well, you guys don't give a shit, so why should I? <laughs> yeah, so that's I just, true. I just told them you should get Ron St. Germain to mix your record. I love Ron the St. Germain. You should get him to mix your record. And I took a whole bunch of cash and went home. Oh, well, win-win. Yeah. And, and, and well, okay. So, yeah, but no points, no royalties, no real, no real mm, name on the yeah. record. Ooh. And I'm not mad at him. But I told him that you guys should get with the guys who produced King Crimson, too. I remember telling them all these things, and that's what they did in their career. And then, yeah, so, you know, I mean, it's really, it's really, uh, to be that lead singer is is weird. Jonathan Davis, you know, I, I've known the corn guy. The corn guy, they, yeah. Yeah, I knew them before they were corn. And I couldn't work with them because they were in a really dark and decadent kind of lifestyle at, at the point when they were being rock stars. Yes. Now I think they've all matured past that. And I was working with Jonathan when he did his solo thing, totally sober. And there's some music that I heard in the back of that bus that I've never heard on the radio that I, I compare it with. And I know it shocks Mike when I say it, but David Bowie. It's of that stature and that great. And it's like, is that ever going to see the light of day? Well, because you don't have to have this financial drive for that. Maybe that never comes out. Or oh. somebody has a plan for you. It's the manager's plan. Well, you can't. They're multimillionaires. You can't bag what they're doing. Yeah, but, exactly. It would be nice yeah. to hear some of that music, though. Yeah, you know, the fact that it's called music, and sometimes it's the thing that's the the last thing yeah. that gets released. Um, you know, he could easily just make a website and and put some tracks up there with a QR code, whatever. You know, he has enough money already. Ultra talented guy, ultra ultra talented in in so many facets, and gets pigeonholed to being the singer from Corn. <laughs> that's what I can say. Yeah, and they're outdated. Um, Lee, uh, we gotta go. But okay, this is great. This is amazing. These stories are awesome. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> They're great. Um, or you know what? I, I have. I, I wanted to cover a couple of the other topics not related to music. You're welcome to to stick around if you want. If you have time, sure, that'd be great. All right. I'd like to leave the hang. So um, let's just go here. This is the outro. Donate to the Japanwood podcast by going to paypal.me forward slash japanwut. Mm. All right. So Lee's going to stick around as we cover a few other topics. Um, one thing that I wanted to talk about. So I don't know, Lee, if you know a lot about AI, artificial intelligence. And I don't mean the the spooky type of our, of artificial intelligence or the, the robots that are coming down the line. But uh, this has to do with software and algorithms and wireless communications and all this type of stuff. 
Yeah, well, I, I my first computer programming job was uh, with punch cards on an IBM 360 machine, and I'm one of the forefathers of digital recording, so I'm right in your alley, buddy. <laughs> All right, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, this yeah. has to do with security. Uh, so this is a U.S. will likely ask Japan and allies to join ban of Chinese apps. And when we think about Chinese apps, we just think about um, kind of goofy stuff on the internet. But uh, the apps themselves are powered with algorithms and AI. And so this is a security risk. Um, the U.S. government will likely ask Japan and other countries to ban Chinese apps, including TikTok, uh, amid increasing concern on information leaks to Beijing. The U.S. government, deeply concerned over possible information theft by the Chinese government, has asked other countries not to allow telecom giant Huawei Technologies uh, to take part in their 5G projects. Um, so the, the, the AI programs in, in, in the TikTok app can apparently copy a whole bunch of other stuff in your phone and send it back to, to Beijing. And also, this is the creepy aspect about TikTok and things like that, is that it gives hundreds of millions of people access to the insides of teenagers' rooms, especially girls. That information is super valuable because it's never been available before. So with the AI, it can take a screenshot of somebody dancing in their room and it can image segment based on image recognition, books, items, and you can profile a customer consumer behavior across hundreds of millions of people using this app and decide how to market or how to extract information from these people. And so if all of that information is going back to Beijing where they can use it to further their advertising or decide what type of products or services to release, it gives them a massive um, advantage, not only in terms of marketing, but also security. What is in the side of these rooms? What are the doors? What are the locks? All of these things are being done. And TikTok is owned by a company called ByteDance, which a year ago had a $75 billion evaluation. They call themselves a startup company. But um, more and more, we can see that these delightful little apps actually contain with them massive security risks that people just feel good about using. What do you think about that, Lee? Well, uh, you know, because I'm in the music industry, I had a couple of meetings at the TikTok building here in Japan. It's a huge, massive structure. They take my picture when I go in. So I'm sure I'm in the database. Yeah, yeah. Facial recognition. I'm sure they, and I'm sure that uh, the microphone was on in the room. And I don't even think the Japanese would even know that that was happening. You know? So uh, I think it's just this mass consumerism that everybody's trying to find the next project or the next thing or who knew Pokemon was going to be big or all of those things, right? Well, somehow this uh, this infringement of your personal rights uh, and the neglect by the people that have it. Yeah, I put TikTok in my phone and then I found, oh, that's bad. Well, I didn't just didn't reboot the phone. I erased the phone and have a new one now because what am I doing? I'm in a recording studio and how do those songs get leaked? How do I know what can happen with it, you know? So I try to keep my phone off, off, usually. And when I had my uh, Android phone, when I was in the studio, I would literally take the battery out of it. Oh, wow. 
So you take yeah, well, security you know, very seriously. A lot of people don't, well, they, you know, and it's it's this next yeah. wave of, of media and technology that exists in real time around us and is activated with keywords or sounds or it, it, it remote and all of these things. And people just leave them around, even though they're locking their doors. Yeah, well, exploiting people while they're having a good time, because TikTok sure is a lot of fun and a lot of funny stuff. You know, it sure is. Okay, but it's a mass consumerism and a large database. And I don't know how many uh, sites or things that you've been on that, oops, I'm sorry, you got to change your password because, you know, there's been a breach. So there's a couple of music companies that, you know, I do publishing through and stuff like that. They send me the email that said, sorry, your information has been leaked. It's like, well, I'm not working with your company anymore. Yeah. You know? And so, and some of these services I paid a lot of money for to shop the material. Right. Right. It's, so now who has that information? It could be stored on an open server somewhere in China as well. There's no rule yeah. of like, there's no, you know, at least here you get a notification over there. Right. You don't know yeah. what's happening, you know? Yeah. And, and what if and they what, do scanning on your bookshelves and find that they, you have a book that is not a, approved by the state, the, you know, they, they can they can then put you on some sort of list. It yeah, sounds well, crazy, it's very, but it's true. It's very upsetting about Hong Kong. Yeah, you know, exactly. And the, yeah. the ability to extract people and things like that. But, you know, going back to what we're talking about, it's exploiting these children and and what they, their habits are and what they do. Imagine if you were 17 years old and you could access the inner rooms of all of the cheerleaders in your school by looking on TikTok. You know how crazy that is? That is so, so insane. Really? Yeah. You can do that on TikTok? I'm going to sign up. <laughs> That's uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Matthew's criticism. Just, learn how to play guitar works just as good. It's okay. Yeah, you, get, you <laughs> can develop a skill. Uh, no, I mean that that you you be playing on the internet and the next thing you know, your song's down down the road and you hear it on the radio and you're like, Wow, I thought that was original. I thought I had that. Yeah. yeah. See, so it's nope. all of these things. Yeah. You know? And Spotify will take it and give you 0.003 N per stream. Yeah. Uh and but uh, because that, that bar had, you know, how's the saying go? Once one, the first impression, once the anchor is lowered, it's hard to bring it back up. Ah, indeed, so, indeed. So they've made this they've made this bar for the musicians that that's good. Hey, you made $35. Isn't that cool? Okay. Well, well you've had 1,000 streams. Look at you. You're popular. Yeah. You're popular. Yeah. It's uh, likes I, and shares. Yeah. But my thing is about, okay, so if we're going to take the monetary value out of music, then we should do exactly that. Because musicians aren't going to stop playing their instruments and sharing their music. That's never going to stop. No. But exploiting them for that and cooking the books. Oh. I, I want to see one person that owns a Celine Dion record. I've been asking for years. Yeah. Uh, obviously, she just makes a deal with the devil, and the devil buys all of them. <laughs> I think I think, the, I think that she made the deal with the record company and just invested her own money into it, and so they bought their records out like the Beatles did. Yeah. The Beatles would have not made a record or a career where they're at if their manager didn't go to every record store and buy all the records back. And that's what wow. all that shit goes on. All right. Uh, last topic of the day is a topic I like to call 
Stupid Gadget of the Week. Stupid Gadget, S-G-O-T-W. All right, this stupid gaijin of the week. Not a not a weekly topic, but of the week. So this week there is a stupid gaijin. And let's review this topic here. This is called um, Tokyo Metropolitan Police have arrested a Colombian woman this week who is suspected in oh. dozens of burglaries in the Kanto area. According to police, mm-hmm. Amanda Lucia Perez Hoyos, 41, is a member of a burglary ring. On January 25th, she allegedly worked with three accomplices to break into a residence in Saitama Prefecture and steal 310,000 yen or $3,000 in cash and 34 items valued at a total of 840,000 yen, including rings. So she's in a ring stealing rings. That's the, oh, yes. she, he, he wore sneakers for sneaking. Uh, so, so this is a Colombian ring, a, Ring of Colombians. Yes, that's right. Okay, very, very good ambassadors. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Upon her arrest, Hoyos denied the allegations, saying, I didn't go to the crime scene. I just rented a car. I also sold the jewelry for cash. Um, those other Colombians have been in the ring and they've been prosecuted in the case. Uh, she said that she came to Japan to participate in the burglary ring, as she alluded to in denying the allegations. Her primary function was to provide members of the ring with vehicles, mobile telephones, and accommodations. She was like a fixer. Uh, police believe Hoyos was involved in 50 other break-ins in Tokyo. Um, and there we go. And the valuation of the stolen she's, goods is 43 million yen. Well, so she's going to be staying at Fuchu Prison now. Probably. Yeah. In the Paul McCartney suite. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there, I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing to come to Japan to try to steal rings. It's kind of a stupid well, I idea. Think maybe, I think maybe they had it planned or they planned it because the Olympics were going to be here. And, oh. and then they were already here. Oh. Yeah. And people would be out and about and they would be able yep. to yeah, get in there, case joints and all that stuff. Yeah, and and if you're visiting Japan and you get robbed, you go home. That's right. Right. Yeah. So probably they were, they were going to hit hotels and ha- and were low on cash. <laughs> hey Lee, how do you get this kind of idea here? That's a, kind of a good idea, Lee. Yeah, it's like so, you didn't uh, even have to think about it. <laughs> uh, you know, I grew up in really really rough town in uh, part of Chicago, man. So if you think like a criminal, you never get caught. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, right. I got to right. get going here, guys. I got to get to the newspaper and do some writing for the day. So, uh, Lee Papa, thank you very much. Where can people find you? Thank you, thank you Lee. Appreciate it. Good thank time. Thank you, Lee. Back on. All right. I, I'll have to get out of the stupid gadget of the week. Uh, stupid gadget of the week. Stupid gadget. S-G-O-T-W. All right, and you've been listening to the Japan Web Podcast. I am your host, blowing hot air to the back end of Tokyo, Mad Bigelow. I'm Mike Rogers, standing right behind Mad Bigelow. I'm Lee Popa. I'm a victim of circumstance. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> guys. Cheerio. wear my mask and wash my hands after going home.